Hey everyone, this is Pastor Sean with Surrender Church, and I'm so excited uh, to start this journey with you. This is going to be a discipleship conversation where we're going to learn about grace. We call it Grace Discipleship. My guest as we go through this discipleship is Josh, Josh Smith, and, and he's my neighbor. Uh, we've known each other for a few years now, and I couldn't be more excited to take him and you through this discipleship course and conversation uh, so we can learn how to walk in God's grace together. So uh, sit back, enjoy, and let's go. Well, what is the point of the Christian life? Well, the point of the Christian life is to, well, I don't even know, really, but that's what I'm here to learn. But at the same time, uh, what I would think the Christian life is, is the whole backbone of walking with Christ and, and being uh, a Christ follower is for peace and joy and grace and to be able to offer that to other people, um, to live happily, I think. You know, at the beginning of each of our times together, uh, each of the lessons, I'm going to ask some questions that just get our mind working. So, you know, it, it, there's no right or wrong answers. There's no, you know, we're just getting our mind working on the topic that we're talking about. Uh, so that's why we're going to kind of ask these questions. Um, you mentioned uh, grace, and that is what all of this is going to be about. Our entire discipleship, we call it grace discipleship. Uh, because I would say there's a major problem in the church as a whole. And that is, there's a really big misunderstanding of what grace is. You know, there's a lot of people that are just confused. You know, you ask them, what is grace? Or what is the new covenant? Or what is the power and source of the Christian life? And so many times those those questions just kind of, the response is just blank. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this Christian life. How am I supposed to be a Christian? How am I supposed to do these things? So that's the purpose. That's what we're doing. We're going to learn about grace. We're going to learn about something called the new covenant, which we have talked about a lot. But, you know, if I were to ask a hundred Christians out there, what is the new covenant? What do you suppose the, the majority of Christians would say? Um, kind of maybe a promise or a, like a agreement between people. Yeah. I guess. Is that, that's what, I mean, that's what I would think. That's what I do think. So, yeah. you know, we're going to see that the new covenant, um, is the whole point of the new Testament. In fact, new Testament, it means new covenant. Like, that's what it is, right? And uh, and it's very, very different from the Old Covenant. And we're going to find out what is the New Covenant, what is the Old Covenant, and these are things that every Christian should know. What is the whole Bible about? Why did Jesus come? Like, these are these are basic questions that every Christian should know. And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about. Another question for, to get us just thinking is how... Do we transform a life? 
how how does is a person transformed? There's there's various thoughts out there. I'm not necessarily looking for an answer on that one. Just to get us thinking. There's there's basically uh, three ways that Christianity happens. Okay, you have Christians that know the new covenant. Like we are going to be, we're going to learn the new covenant and we're going to live by the new covenant. We're going to understand it. There's Christians that only know the old covenant. So they believe, you know, Jesus forgives me, but it's up to me to transform myself, to uh, work hard and, and prove myself and to be this super Christian or be all that I'm supposed to be in the army, you know. Um, and then there's the part of Christianity that kind of mixes the two. They're kind of confused on what's new covenant, what's old covenant, what's grace, and what's law. And uh, I think that's where actually kind of the majority of people kind of land, is in that confused section. And I'm not sure exactly. I know I'm supposed to do these things, but then Jesus did these things, and I'm not sure, quite sure where his work ends and my work starts, and it's kind of confusing. So, is that? Do you recognize kind of that's how the world has kind of mostly evolved? everybody? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You can actually see it in the way people react and the way people uh, speak to you. Even um, there's a lot of that confusion that happens, especially when you open your mouth and you say that you're a Christian or you're mm -hmm. a Christ follower or mm -hmm. anything like that. So, for yeah. sure, you know. Being a Christian is not just about our sin being forgiven. It's about us as sinners being transformed. Practically, really, our lives, our behavior changing. And that's what grace accomplishes for us. And so I'm just so excited every time I get to talk uh, to someone, especially someone like my best friend, you know, Josh. So, uh, so let's go ahead and get into some of these scriptures. That was, that was good, you know, getting our mind working, getting those muscles of our brain thinking <laughs> on how this works. Uh, so let's, let's look at Luke 2220 is where we begin studying uh, grace. And this, this lesson is called an introduction to grace, this, uh, this conversation that we're going to have. So, uh, Josh, I'm going to have you read our verses uh, just so we have a different voice going on here. So Luke 2220, go ahead. All right. So I apologize because I'm not that great of a reader, but <laughs> at the same time, I'm going to do my best here. So likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So in this verse, he says, this cup is the new covenant. Okay, this, this is happening on the last dinner, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples, the day before he gets crucified for our sins. So this is like the pinnacle of the entire Bible, the pinnacle of the New Testament. This is his big grand finale. And what topic does Jesus want to talk about with his disciples? He wants to talk about what his death is going to bring them. He's so excited to talk to them about the new covenant. A covenant, like you said a little earlier, is, is like a, a contract or an agreement. And in, in biblical terms, in, uh, in the Bible, God works by covenants with his people. Uh, so you had, you know, Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and each of these guys, God, God would kind of make a covenant with them. And, and Jesus says here, this is 
the new covenant which I am purchasing for you with my blood. So this is the whole point of Jesus' life, the pinnacle of his life, and his death. And yet if I were to ask a, a, a segment of Christianity, what is the new covenant? What is this great thing that Jesus has bought for you with his blood? The whole purpose of his death and the cross and what does it mean? I think I would get a lot of blank looks. Empty stares. Yeah. This is a huge emotional thing too, right? I mean, as far as, I mean, his disciples already know what's going to be taking place. And I mean, I, I can't even imagine what's taking place. And he wants to talk about his covenant right? at this moment in time. And everybody's got to be losing their minds. Yeah, I, I just, I couldn't imagine. As we are 2,000 years past this, we look back and we ask the question, what, why did Jesus die for me? Why did Jesus have to die? What, what answer is the first thing that pops into your head when you hear that question? Well, I have the churchy answer. I have the, uh, well, he died for our sins. Right. That's just what you're taught to say. What's what the, what the real reason is. What is the... What is the real backing of him actually dying for me? That's a that's an unknown thing. It's almost an emotional thing mm -hmm. to sacrifice oneself for somebody else. It's a huge deal. Okay, so you know there's something to do with forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. All you know that's and that's I think what ninety percent of people think one hundred percent of this is about. Jesus died to forgive my sins, and that's absolutely true, mm -hmm. and it's great. I mean, there's nothing greater in my life than the day when I felt Jesus, you know, forgive me and felt the weight of all that burden of guilt lifted off my shoulders because of, I, of what I understood about what he did for me. I mean, it's great. Huge release. Yeah. But that's not the complete picture. It's, you know, the new covenant is so much more than that. That's why he didn't say, this is the cup of forgiveness that I'm giving you. No, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is uh, in my blood, which is shed for you. And, it, you know, he's offering this new covenant to his disciples. Can you picture it in your mind? He's like handing them the cup, you know, and that, even that is symbolic of how this whole new covenant works. It's not a job. It's a gift. It's a gift. Uh, and, and what do you do when someone offers you a drink? How do you receive it? In the literal form? Yeah. If someone hands so you a drink, what I do you do? I take the cup. Yeah. I thank him for the cup. Okay. And then I drink the cup. <laughs> you drink the cup. <laughs> and is it, is it so much of a burden in your life to drink a cup? No. I mean, it's it's a simple act. Right. You would think that, <laughs> I mean, unless it's a, like a goblet of, yeah. you know, of punch or juice or something like that. But no, I mean, it's a cup. Um, yeah. It's, you see, everything about this interaction of Jesus and, and his disciples is is picturesque of what it, what the new covenant, how it works. When he offers you a cup, our job is to receive that cup. And to drink it in. 
You know, when you drink something in, it's not a work. That's an that's an act of faith. You're saying I I I agree with what you're saying. I agree with what you're giving me. I'm receiving it, and I'm taking it into me by faith. I'm trusting uh, who you are and what you're saying to me. It's a, it's an act of faith, uh, not works. And that's I think we're gonna we're gonna hit on that so many times. How the new covenant works is not by works. <laughs> the new covenant works exclusive of works. The new covenant works by faith. And another thing that we'll learn about later, humility. Uh, Jesus did all the work for us. You know, this this process of dying on the cross and then being buried and then rising again on the third day. There is no more work that we need to do uh, to add to what he did. Now, there's going to be works that we do as an overflow of his finished work in our life. But there's no works that we need to do in order to participate in this New Covenant. We, we are to drink this in. So, so we're just in the first, this is like the first mention of the New Covenant, like in the Bible. Jesus is bringing it up. He's, he's bringing it in and, and, uh, and he's introducing the idea of what this great, great, great thing is that he's going to do. So does it get you, got you pumped up, this first verse? Yeah. Um, <laughs> now I'm going, oh, okay, let's go. Uh, this is going to be a big deal. So. Um, what happens if I want to participate more? I feel the need to participate more. Great. I know that, I know that God did everything for me or Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I, I understand that, but I like to move forward and I want to, I want to participate. I want to do something for him. Yeah. He just, he, I mean, he sacrificed himself for me. So what, it, is there anything that I am able to do? Uh, and when it comes to that kind of an idea, I just, because I, I always want to do something. I want to be, it's always a two way street for me. So I want to yeah. make sure that I can, I don't know. I, I just, so it's like, I don't want to be a bump on a log and just say Jesus does everything, right? You know, I just I want to participate. And and that is actually a very common question and the Holy Spirit is actually urging you to to know the answer to that and he's prompting you to ask that question, which is amazing. It's a great question. The answer is the new covenant is an extremely active participatory lifestyle. It isn't um, something where you have to do things to earn it, but it pro- opens the door for you to dive into a life of incredible activity. In other words, we are to dive into the living life of Christ. We, we um, share in his activity. And he says we do that by A, reading the word, and believing it, that's an active thing. You're searching him out. You're searching for his will. You're searching for his his promises. And then actively, prayer is the next part. So then you, you once you discover his word, his will, then you pray on that. You ask him for it. And that's an active thing. You're calling upon the Lord. And then you're actively waiting upon him. So now waiting has turned into an active thing because I'm not just waiting there for some mysterious thing to happen. <laughs> I have called upon my father. I now am being grown and tested in my faith. My faith is growing. 
as I call upon him, I'm, 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 I'm being tested. Do I believe? Do I really believe that this new covenant is real, that my father answers my prayers? And, and I will be tested in that, in that, am I going to persevere in praying? I'm going to, I've, I've read the word. I've, I've gone back to it. I've recognized this is what the word says. Now I'm saying, God, I want this to be real in my life. I believe it. I'm going to call upon you and I'm going to keep calling upon you, upon you, my father, until I see your hand of blessing in my life. And so there's no earning it. We're actually not changing his mind as we're participating in the life. He's, He's wanting to pour it all into us. He's wanting to bless us and give us grace. What we're doing is we're actually convincing our own souls that he is trustworthy. We're learning to live by faith and not by sight, which is what our father is. That's the direction he wants us to go. So it's active, but it's spiritual. So yes, there's a lot, you know, if we want to talk about all the good things that a Christian is supposed to do, yeah, we can talk about those. And there's plenty listed, especially in Colossians 3 that we've been talking about recently. Um, there's lots of ways that we're supposed to bless others. And, uh, but the, the way that the covenant works, our participation in it is faith and humility. So we're going we're gonna to be reading his word, believing it in faith, humbling ourselves to receive it. And that's how our participation works. So it's kind of like a pot and you add all kinds of ingredients to make a good stew. Right. So if I think of the old covenant, I got that pot and it's got 10 commandments and God's promises. Uh, if you keep them, you're good. And if you don't keep them, you're dead. And, and, and then my part I add to the pot is I either keep them and I'm kind of blessed. And if I don't keep them, I'm kind of dead, you know, and that's the pot that the old covenant was. And it didn't really work for anybody. Hodgepodge soup. Yeah, it didn't work well. It was a, it was a nasty soup. Now the new covenant comes along and God's like, we're doing away with the old. Okay. We're bringing in Jesus, I'm bringing in a new covenant with my blood. So he adds in his blood, his works, his life, all of who he is to the pot. And he tells us to answer your question, what you need to add, what you get to add to this pot is humility and faith. And it's very active. It's very relationship-centered and relationship-based. And these are all the things we're going to flesh out during our study as we as we go through these things. Thanks for answering that, though, because I, I've, <laughs> always, I've always asked that question of myself. What am I supposed to be doing now that I've... I've accepted God and I've start. I've already continued my journey, but awesome. I get confused all the time. I'm like, well, I should be doing something else. I need to be right. doing more. I need to be, I need, I need, I need, I need. It shouldn't be that way, but yeah. Thank you. And we're going to discover why our flesh longs to offer something. Our flesh longs to bring something to the table, hmm. but the spirit is always going to be moving us towards not the flesh, but what Jesus has already done for us and putting our trust in that and through relationship with him, then we can live our lives uh, free of, of having to earn stuff uh, or, or prove ourselves. But now we can live free with real freedom that we're already accepted, beloved, and, 
And now we can just kind of do whatever God puts on our hearts, uh, which is actually quite amazing. All right, our next verse that we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. All right, so 2 Corinthians 3, 5, through 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Yeah, the Spirit gives life. So why do we need to learn about the new covenant? You know, it's because, in this verse it says, because we are not sufficient. We're not sufficient. God has no illusions that uh, you are impressive, (laughs) (laughs) that you can do it. Yeah, he has thousands of years of evidence of <laughs> of who we really are, right? So he knows what this is all about. And he says, you know, Paul here says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us ministers of the new covenant. Hey, there's that term again that the church just kind of forgets about sometimes, like, wait a minute, we are ministers of the new covenant, and we have to learn about this because we are not sufficient in anything, he says. He says we can't do anything. Okay, now, do you really feel like you can't do anything? No, I actually feel like I'm empowered to do, I'm empowered to do anything. That's what I feel like. I feel like I can do anything. Yeah, We're kind of born in our society with this uh, thing beaten into us that you are awesome. (laughs) Our kindergarten classes, our first grade, our second grade is you can do anything you want. And I get what they're trying to say, you know, uh, this self-esteem kind of uh, philosophy that the world, you know, the world is your, you know, it's your oyster. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. Um, The world is your oyster. Take it. What is that? Bull by the horns. (laughs) <laughs> what does that phrase even mean? The world is your oyster? Like I don't need, I I've never understood it. I've never even had to use it because I don't understand anything about it. Uh, so. That's worth a Google. I'll I'll check that out. Anyway, um <laughs> we have this beaten into us. We and and our flesh wants to agree. In fact, this is how Satan did it in the Garden of Eden. He told Adam and Eve, he's like, You guys don't need God's help. And that, that's what the whole tree thing was about. And the temptation is, is, is God saying, I want you to come to me at all times to determine what's right and wrong. I want to be your father. I want to train you. I want to teach you myself through relationship. And Satan's like, you don't need that. You, you need to be God. You need to understand. You need to know good and evil. You don't need God. And ever since then, it's, it's in our DNA to be this... Uh, sufficient version of ourselves. Self-sufficient. Yeah. I don't need anything. And we're going to see this term and this idea absolutely eviscerated by the Bible. The Bible and self-sufficiency stand at odds and are enemies to the bitter death. 
Uh, and we're going to see humility is actually the opposite of self-sufficiency. You know, humility and faith kind of combined is I'm going to trust in another instead of in myself. And that's what the new covenant is all about. Um, you know, I, so many people I know, maybe you can recall a time in your life where you felt like you tried your best, you did your best, and maybe the result was failure or, or not what you expected and life was now kind of bitter and kind of tired and you were kind of burnt out. Have you ever had a situation in your life like that, especially with the Lord? Uh, plenty of times. Um, uh, I mean, as you know, I've, grew, I've grown up a pastor's kid, so I spent a lot of time in the church and those kind of experiences uh, happen often for me when I think, I've, all right, I've learned plenty. I've read the Bible enough. I don't want to do this right now. And so uh, even in my past, I mean, I've, as we've talked about, I've wandered for almost 10 years, just moving around and not knowing really where I wanted to be. If I wanted to be a part of the church, if I wanted to have my own relationship with God, what I kind of wanted to experience in my walk with God was totally different from the norm. And it was because I felt like I had already done it all. I've already listened to thousands of sermons every Sunday morning, walking through that and hearing my own father speak and not really giving anybody else's uh, uh, other opinions even or other, other people's word or anything like that. It was just a really long section of my life where I was just like, I, I got I to gotta step away. I got to reserve myself so I don't feel overwhelmed by uh, doing monotonous activity. Yeah. So as you kind of stepped back and as you kind of like felt this dryness and maybe even a lack of spiritual life, you're actually proving God's word, which says none of us are sufficient. If we're looking to ourselves and or to anything besides Jesus himself, we're going to recognize that we're going to run out of energy. We're going to run out of life so quickly. And that's the sufficient. We don't have an, a sufficient source of life in and of ourselves. So apart from Jesus, who is the source of life and the source of all grace, as we're going to see, um, you know, every single person is going to recognize that we are not sufficient. But it's funny because as you kind of go to church for a long time, if if you're not careful, you kind of get this idea that, man, maybe, maybe I am sufficient. Or you, you start to struggle, and the advice that you might get is, have you tried trying a little harder? <laughs> have you tried serving more? Have you tried giving more? Maybe the problem is you are not all in. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. And this type of advice is is just not biblical. It's not it's not what what God's telling us in his word. Paul says here, nobody is sufficient to think of anything as being from themselves. Our sufficiency is from God, which means it's a gift. It's free and and it makes us a minister of the new covenant, which means God wants us to know about the new covenant, which is what we're doing now. We're learning about it and to walk in it and be able to equip other people to do the same thing. Um for it says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is for Paul. This knowing the new covenant is a life and death, death blah, 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 
for Paul, this knowing about the new covenant is a life and death thing. And I agree with him because I've seen so many Christians flame out, burn out, and their spiritual life is dead because they got they didn't understand how the spirit works through the new covenant but they were stuck in the law the old covenant which paul says kills and that's what he's talking about it's our spiritual life that it kills and so your testimony you know it speaks to that mine does as well you know growing up my dad was a pastor also uh, but i got kind of confused on the purpose of the law and things like that. And when I learned about uh, grace in Bible college, it transformed my life, my relationship with God, uh, turned from a burden and, and difficult to joy and peace. And uh, so that's what we're sharing. That's what we all seek anyways is joy and peace. Those are my favorite two things yeah. on the planet. So God makes us sufficient through this new covenant that we're going to be talking about. And the new covenant is not a list of rules like the old covenant is. Uh, but it's actually a new spirit, which is like a new internal life. That's the, And so not a list of rules, but a new life. And that's kind of what he's saying here. It's internal, not external. And it's life-giving, not life-draining. Maybe you recognize, maybe anybody would recognize that sometimes our, we need just a new invigorating life. Jesus says that a life with him is that. Uh, that we can recognize when we need more of him, when we kind of feel dry spiritually. That what he brings to us is that refreshing, abundant life. Those are the ways he describes following him. It's funny because I think a lot of people would describe following Jesus as a burden, difficult. Let me do that again because my stomach was making all kinds of noises. Rawr, it was, it was saying, <laughs> hey, I'm hungry. <laughs> I think a lot of people would describe following Jesus as a burden, as difficult, as not fun, not life-giving. Which means there's a vast disconnect between how Jesus says following him should look and our experience as the church in general. And so we need to get to the bottom of that. So feeling that your relationship with God is a burden is not what we're supposed to feel. Is basically what you're saying. So you're saying that it's it's this idea of uh, being at peace and having joy with the relationship with God instead of having to go to church and feel that burden of waking up every morning. Oh, I got to go to church this morning, or I got to go do this, or I I have to read my Bible today, or I need to do all these things to accomplish this relationship. Right. The new covenant says it is finished. And it invites us to rest. And that term and that idea of rest we're going to be looking at in Hebrews chapter 4. But uh, man, it is such a delightful and different experience than what you described, of, of which is very common of I'm stressed out, I'm, I'm burdened, versus what God actually describes and intends and promises for his children and invites us into. 
He says, guys, that is not the design. The design is this new covenant. So why is nobody really studying the new covenant very much? It seems like it's a lot more peaceful. It is. It's a delight. It really is. Um, so we've been talking, we've been saying the word new covenant a lot. And now I want us to bring up a synonym, a, a uh, similar term that means the exact same thing, uh, which is grace. Like So every time that we say new covenant, we mean grace. Every time we say grace, we mean new covenant. They, they're in, interchangeable in every way and in every circumstance in, uh, in the Bible. So as we learn about this, we're going to go back and forth. But just right now in your mind, I want you to put a chain linking new covenant and grace. Insert here, grace. Right, Got exactly. It. Okay. All right. So whenever we talk about something in the Bible, we want to go back to the Old Testament and see what kind of clues and what kind of evidence we have that this was really God's plan and, and that it was coming to fulfillment. God tends to always have a prophecy in the Old Testament about things that are going to come to pass for his children in the New Testament. So it gives a context. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So we're going to see this, uh, the great Old Testament prophecy of the New Covenant in the Old Testament, which is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Hey, there's the term. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, right? Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So, Josh, pop quiz. What, what's this old covenant that he's talking about here? Uh, grace. No, the old covenant. Oh, the old covenant. <laughs> ah, sorry, I was I was inserting here when I write here covenant. Now I have to put in grace. I tricked you. <laughs> um, the when he says there was an old covenant, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. So wandering. Uh, this is when they were wandering in the desert. Is yeah. that right? So yeah. they were wandering for. Um, a number of years, mm -hmm. and they decided uh, to uh, break the rock. Is that right for water, or is that is that off of there? Well, you, you're get you're right around it. So Moses yep. was their leader, right? And and in that day, Moses delivered them out of Egypt, right? God right. did all the ten plagues and brought them through the the. Um, Red Sea, right there, parted the sea, and they walked through. And So they're chilling by Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, there was a rock that was split. You know, God told Moses he could he could speak to this rock, and, and water would come out for everybody. But something else was smashed, which I think you're, you're talking about. This was when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Right. Okay. So that's this old covenant that, that God said, I... I took you by the hand and led you out of Egypt and I gave you a covenant. And we're going to find out later. The people are all like, yeah, we love that covenant. We're going to do it. And God's like, no, you're not. <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> but I gave you a covenant and I was a husband to you. I loved you. And you broke that covenant. He didn't say most of you broke that covenant. 
he said, all of you broke that covenant. It's the whole nation, right? So, so that's why God said, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. So then verse 3 says, But this is the covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Now, we this is one of the most deep and, and wonderful prophecies in, in the whole Bible. And we're going to come back to this many times as we kind of study through this entire exhaustive study of the New Covenant. But I just want to hit on three things right now that are super important for us to know about this prophecy. And that is, uh, like I said, when, when, when we ask people today, what is the new covenant? We're going to get an answer. Most people are going to say it's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Absolutely true. It is forgiveness. Look at verse 34. It starts at the end right there. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. That's a wonderful, amazing, beautiful part of the Old Covenant, New Covenant, not Old Covenant, New Covenant. But it's just a little part. You know, icebergs? Yep. Icebergs, they, what's the famous thing people say about icebergs? Well, I thought we were talking about lettuce. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, that icebergs, the uh, tip of the iceberg is all that you can see. Everything else lies beneath. Right, exactly. And they, they put numbers on it like maybe 10% of the iceberg is, is what you can see. And then right. the rest is underwater. Well, the new covenant is kind of the same way. Forgiveness. That's the part everybody. Yeah. I know about that part. I, I want to be forget. I know that Jesus only can forgive my sins. I can't earn forgiveness. A lot of Christians are right on, on that theology. Right. But there's, we just read like a whole lot of other words with a whole lot of other things and promises that are all included in this new covenant. You know, he says, but this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Then he mentions forgiveness, almost like an afterthought. I mean, it's a big deal. You know, you can't have a relationship with God without forgiveness. But it's just one little part. So, That's number one. The first thing that we see the new covenant is going to be all about is forgiveness. And and, yeah. You know what's amazing though? What? Is when you're reading the text and when you just read it to me, something popped into my head. And it says, you know, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, uh, for they shall know me. If you think about it, right now, you talk to anybody on the planet. Do they know what a Christian is? Do they know that there's God is out there? And I don't know that anybody, even, you know, the people that don't want to believe in anything or an atheist, you still, they know who God is. Everybody knows now. Mm-hmm. You can't talk, you can't walk down the street and be like, hey, do you know about Christianity? They might say, oh yeah, I know what Christianity is. Whatever perception they might have of it. Yeah. You know, it has something to do with Jesus 
And yeah. a lot of them think it has something to do with God's laws, you know, being a good person. So there's a goodness aspect right. to it. Uh, right. Right. And as we do discipleship, we're learning what it's really all about. Because right. when he says that, that's our number two point, actually, is we, he says they shall know the Lord. Because we're kind of going backwards. So we went forgiveness. Now we're backing up. Yep. Uh, every man shall know his brother. No one's going to have to teach his neighbor uh, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That means that there is in this new covenant, there's built in a promise of a personal relationship with God. Now this is written in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah and the religious system that was established by God in in the Old Testament of the law it did not contain a personal relationship with God. Right, it always had to go through a priest or somebody that was going to sacrifice a lamb or it did exactly. So you would come to the temple and the priest would talk to God for you. So God changes the whole thing by becoming the priest. Jesus becomes our priest in the new covenant. And and not and we don't even have to go to a temple, but now he says we become the temple. Our bodies are now the temple of living God and the priest of God, Jesus, dwells in us so that there is still a mediator between God and man, but it's God who is also a man. Jesus and and these things we're going to study in depth and really you know discover how amazing it is. But what it says here is there's going to be a promise of personal relationship. A lot of details in there too about what that's going to look like. There's greatest and least, and there's going to be no division between if you're a good Christian or a bad Christian. There's going to be you know uh, uh, no teaching like a priest would teach somebody. But God says you know what? I'm going to handle teaching my people who I am. Jesus is going to handle that himself. Um, we can help people. We can disciple people. But it's getting people connected to Jesus that's our job. He's the one by his spirit that does the work of teaching people. So uh, so then we get to the third part, which we back up here uh, in verse 33. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. Wow. Now this is a big, big deal because this is a promise in the new covenant of God, of an internal working of God to transform his people. Right. This is something Jesus accomplishes for us. I know so many believers who have been so stressed out about wanting to change themselves. I know years that have been wasted thinking, I wish I was different, better. I, I wish I could get over certain things. I wish I could stop this sin or that sin. And Jesus says here, you know what? I, I'm going to take the burden off of you. And I'm going I'm to make you this promise. I will put my law in your minds and write it on your hearts. The, the law was never written on the heart. It was written on tablets of stone. And people had to look at it and they had to give their best to try to be that. And God says, Man, that did not work at all. <laughs> he knew that, but boy, it did not work. No one was ever successful at keeping the Ten Commandments. But God says here, I'm going to take care of it because I'm going to work so deeply in your mind and in your heart through what my son is going to do on the cross that it, my law is actually going to be like tattooed on your heart 
And you're going to live by heart, not by duty, not by religion, but by you're going to do what's on your heart. And that's what's going to change the world and change your own life. So pretty neat promises of the new covenant. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It's nice actually to go back through a lot of stuff that I've learned before mm-hmm. because it really feels it's been so long since I've spent time in the word mm-hmm. that I feel it feels it feels new to me again. Yeah. And it's refreshing. It's refreshing. It really truly is. It's amazing. It's a totally different what I, from what I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. Because I'm I'm looking at this text and I'm like I've read this hundreds of times before, but it's brand new for me. Again, it's I, I, I really <laughs> I'm enjoying it a lot more. Awesome. So we're going to zoom towards uh, the New Testament, Hebrews chapter eight, verses. Uh, we'll go seven through thirteen here. That the second half of Hebrews chapter eight. Remember, we're, we're connecting this to Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one because that's. That was the OG prophecy of like, God's like, this old covenant is not working, right? And this was all part of the plan. He knew that it was not going to work, but he was, by through the voice of Jeremiah, his prophet, he's explaining, guys, there's a promise coming. My son is going to deliver you guys from the life of this burdened religion that you're living right now. And uh, so Jesus comes, he does it, he he gives us the new covenant, uh, and then a few years later, you know, whoever wrote Hebrews comes and he starts to explain it to us and really flesh it out. So look, he's going to quote like a bunch of that Jeremiah prophecy in what we're going to read right now. But he's going to give some comments that are going to kind of help us to see some aspects that are super cool. So he says, look at that. Even in the in the text right there, it's got a little uh, title, a little subtitle. Oh, yeah. And yep. what's it say? It says, A New Covenant. <laughs> so he says, if, for if, that first covenant, so we're talking about the Ten Commandments and the law, had been faultless, no place would have been sought for a second. Boom. Hey, don't you call the Ten Commandments flawed. But that's what the Bible says. The Bible just said the Old Testament was flawed. Not because there's mistakes in it. Or not because the plan was bad. It's because the old covenant had flaws. It was not designed to be salvation. It was not designed to be the perfect relationship with God or to bring us a perfect relationship with God. Mm-hmm. He says, if it, you know, if that first covenant had been faultless, no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them, he says. So what was the problem with the old covenant? Them. Them. It wasn't the law that was that, you know, the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with the, the Ten stone. Commandments, right? The, those two tablets were beautiful and carved by the very hand of God. I mean, man, they were good. Nobody disagrees with the Ten Commandments. Shall not kill, shall not murder. I, well, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. You know, all these things. It's the people. It's us. The problem, the fault was with people. But God loves people. He loves us. And so he sought a new covenant. But in order for him to give us a new covenant, he had to pay a new price. And what do you think that price was going to be? 
sending his son. Exactly. He couldn't share the responsibility of the price. When people need saved, they can't deliver themselves. They need saved. So he has to bear the burden of the price in the whole new covenant, which he gloriously does. So, so he says, Behold, finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of them his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now he adds this comment. He says, in that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. So that's again, that's the adjective that the Bible uses to describe the Ten Commandments. Obsolete. It's pretty intense. You work in the HVAC world. Mm-hmm. What do you do when something is obsolete? We remove it, <laughs> decommission it, and take it to the scrapyard. Yeah. Which, I'm going to continue reading this verse. It says, now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. Isn't that kind of exactly what you do with an old furnace? <laughs> yeah. To, to a T. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. So... Hebrews was written to, you know, Hebrew people that had become Christians and believers in Jesus. So we see in here that this promise was made to what group of people? All people? Well, it was made to the Jewish nation. He said to, you know, to Israel and to the tribes of Jews, you know, so it was made to them. But now it has been inaugurated for the entire church because the church has now been invited into a covenant relationship with God. All nations have been invited into the new covenant relationship with God that was originally intended for the people of God, promised to the people of God, the Jewish nation, but has now been expanded big enough to invite all people in. Uh, to the extent that you don't have to be Jewish anymore. You don't have to keep any of the nationalistic rules and dietary rules and, you know, circumcision and all the rest. doesn't have to even, it's not even a part of the New Covenant anymore. An interesting thing I just learned uh, a couple days ago. Um, So, the Old Covenant had priests. Do you know what tribe those priests had to be from? No. I don't. So they had to be from the tribe of of uh, Levi, right? From the family of Levi, um, the Levitical priesthood. Have you heard of that? Yep. Okay. So all the Old Testament priests were from that that tribe. You know, sons of Aaron and of the tribe of Levi. Mm-hmm. Do you know what tribe Jesus was from? The same tribe. No, he was from the tribe the kings came from which was the tribe of Judah. Mm. So we've been talking about Jesus being our priest. So how could Jesus, who's from the tribe of, of Judah, actually Hebrews talks about this a lot, 
He's from the tribe of Judah. How could he be a priest of God? And the answer is, those priests served under the Old Covenant. They were priests of the Old Covenant. Jesus is a priest of a whole new covenant. And he's the priest of that covenant. So he's the intermediary. He's the one that represents God to people and people to God. Um, And it's so amazing that Jesus does that. He doesn't even have, he's not even qualified to be a priest of the old covenant. So all that's included in the old covenant, all the laws and all the commandments, we must throw it out if we're going to follow Jesus. Because he's not even qualified by God's own rules. He's not qualified to be a priest of that old covenant. So literally Jesus has nothing to do with that old covenant. Besides the fact that it reveals God's heart about things and tells us how God, how a perfect man would look. And Jesus certainly fulfilled that old covenant. But he, man, he started a new covenant with new priesthood where he is the lone priest. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing, huh? In the temple. Right. Yeah, in the new temple. In the new temple. Yeah, that, yep. that's why the old temple. Oh, great point. That's an awesome point. But all this is stemming out of this, This in that he says a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. Mm-hmm. The old covenant, which we're going to learn a lot about next week, but is a system of relating to God that is now dead. For God to be happy with me, I have to keep these ten rules. For me to be accepted by God, I need to accomplish these things or do these things. That's the old covenant. And and God himself is going out of his way to explain to us that way of relating to me is dead as a doornail. It does not work. There's a new way that's going to provide for all this, and it's Jesus and Jesus alone. But man, why do we keep going back? I don't know. Well, it's easy to fall back into it. In fact, I think I kind of wake up by default as an old covenant guy, always thinking, what can I do today? And I need kind of that time with Jesus to remember what he has done for me. And that's why the word of God is so vital to our living relationship. Well, actually, let's fast forward a couple pages here and go to chapter 10. This this guy, this author of Hebrews, he's not even done talking about the, the prophecy in Jeremiah. He's going to bring it up again. He's going to quote it again with different aspects that he's bringing up in, in uh, chapter 10. So in chapter 10, verses 15 through 20, it says this, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is the new covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. And he adds, then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is, uh, sorry, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
bro, this is gangster. <laughs> I love this scripture. It's fairly intense. It's almost I need to read it again and again in order to understand it better. It's kind of like meat that you have to chew. Yep. Yeah. This isn't the milk. In Hebrews even says, I'm going to be giving you meat here. Uh, so this is the meat. All that Jesus did. Now look what he does here. He says, you know, he quotes our, our new covenant text from Jeremiah 31. Mm-hmm. And then he says, you know, understand what that there's actual forgiveness of sins. Okay, because back in the Old Covenant, if you sinned, do you know what you had to do? Sacrifice something, right? Right. You, there was... Life had to be taken from something. Exactly. There was all kinds of prescribed animal sacrifices. And all, all of those uh, gave you a temporary covering over of your sins so you could have kind of this faux relationship with God, but it only really worked if you had faith in a future coming Messiah, Jesus. Right. That's the only way it actually kind of worked. And so here he says, you know what? Jesus came and there is there is now remission or forgiveness and there's no longer, you don't have to make any more offerings for your sin. So what does that mean for us? It means crazy access and relationship with God that is sincere, real, intense, beautiful and perfect and our sin does not inhibit it anymore because it's been done away with he says therefore brethren we have boldness to enter the holiest which is these are images now that are drawn from the temple the physical temple that god had the inner place where god's presence dwelt was called the holiest of holies And that's what he's referencing here. We have boldness to enter the holiest. Who was allowed to enter the holiest in the old covenant? Do you know? Only the priests, right? Yeah, only the high priests and only once a year, one time a year on the day of Yom Kippur. Okay? After, only after he had killed all kinds of special animals and sprinkled all kinds of things with their blood, including himself. And even then, they would tie a string around his foot because if he went in and there were some sinful things going on in his life, he would die in God's presence and they'd have to pull him out with a string. Can you imagine having to be that guy? Yeah. What if you were, what if you accidentally forgot the, uh, the goat? Yeah. In the sacrifice. Or the fifth goat or the 20th dove or, <laughs> you know, or you just had something in your heart. It's God's presence is that serious. That's not wrong. Of God, God is holy, and that is that's what that means. Is that there is being in His presence is a big, big, big deal. And yet, Paul says, or whoever wrote Hebrews, <laughs> maybe it was Paul, says, we, any believer in Christ, can have boldness, and that is that's a wild idea. That's an absolute. Cra- I mean, someone who's an, uh, uh, living back then, they'd be like, "You are bonkers to think." You know, it's like Aslan. You know, he's is he is he safe? No, he's not safe. It, but he's good. He's a lion. Yeah, he's a lion. He he could chomp you, but he's good. And if you are living in that new covenant, God is good, and we are invited into His presence, and we don't have to fear because our sins. He says here are remembered no more. What a beautiful and amazing benefit of the new covenant. He says here, we're invited into 
his presence by the blood of Jesus. That's the price. That's the cleansing thing. And that also harkens back to things in the old, you know, priestly uh, temple type way of doing things where they had to kill all these animals and sprinkle blood all over it. That was all foreshadow of the blood of Christ. And he says, it's a new and living way. So what's the opposite of new and living? Death and destruction. Yeah. Old and dead. Yeah. (laughs) That's how old covenant Christians probably would describe people, Christians who are kind of stuck in this old covenant way of living. That's how they describe their life. Man, it's things are getting old. I'm getting dry. And you know what? If I describe my Christian life, it's dead. And that's, that's what we see so commonly in our world that should not exist because of what Jesus has done for us. So it's a new and living way. We could talk about those for a long time, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So there was this veil that separated everybody out of that holy of holies. That's where the priest had to go in past the veil to get in that scary holy place where God's presence was, where he could talk to God and get, you know, make requests of God and get God's blessing for the people. And he says here, man, when Jesus dies on the cross, that's his flesh being torn. And then do you remember what happened when Jesus actually died on the cross in the temple? Simultaneously. Do you remember what happened? The, not exactly. Okay. Well, let me tell you, there was a veil. And it was like, you know, 30 feet high, 18-inch thick, woven veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the regular temple. And uh, when Jesus died, everyone says that that, there was a giant earthquake, and then that veil was ripped from top to bottom. 18-inch thick veil. God reached down and ripped it, literally, with his invisible hands. What's what does that symbolize? There is no, there's no anything that can block you from your relationship with God. Now, now you can enter in without having to do anything for it. Exactly. Now, now you can. Now it's it's freely. You just walk in. You don't have to go through an eighteen inch thick veil. That's insane to think about how thick that actually is. Yeah. Pretty amazing. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. The author is saying, guys, draw near, draw near, because that's the privilege of a Christian. That's a real Christian. That's what Christianity is all about, drawing near to God through what Jesus has done for us. Draw near. Exactly. How do you feel, though, about drawing near to God when when you know that you've been sinful? You're scared. Right. Because you don't know what to expect. Exactly. And this is what the New Covenant does for us. The New Covenant transforms our relationship with God from fear-based and performance-based to acceptance and and uh, invitation because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we done. We are fully forgiven. We are fully set free. 
And so we, he says here, you never have to fear going into your Father's presence. When you have believed upon Christ and called upon him, been born again, you are his child, and nothing you do is held against you. And I can hear it now. There's some parts in me that are saying, is that, is, is he really that good? Is this new covenant really that all-encompassing that I am fully forgiven and, and invited into his presence? My flesh almost says, no, I can't. Nah. It, yeah. it can't be that good. But we're going to see as we go through Romans, Paul says, yeah, the natural thing would be to think, well, then, can I just sin as much as I want? And Paul said, that's an accurate conclusion to come to, except for the fact that we are his law is being written on our minds and our hearts now. So if you chose to live a life of sin as a believer, you're never going to have fulfillment and peace in your heart. God changes our hearts so much. Maybe you can even speak to that. You, you've been a believer for a long time, but I know that there was a time in your life where you did not live in like uh, an obedient life. Right. Right. Not in harmony at all. How did that, how did your heart live during that? What did you, what was your heart going through during those times? Everything was more difficult. Relationships, um, it took more effort. It felt like I was having to do, put in, dump in more of my, uh, what I would view as uh, effort into relationships, into talking to people, speaking to people. It, everything was more difficult and um, frustrating. It felt like my heart was literally in decay. I was always depressed, always wondering if I was doing the right thing or saying the right thing. Um, I always felt like everybody on the planet, including my own parents, friends, secretly just didn't love me. Mm. It was empty all the time. Mm. And it, it, it made life hard and difficult and struggle. And it just, you go through all these emotions consistently where it's just an, an enormous amount of depression, emptiness. Nothing is fulfilling. And I, I suppose there's probably always kind of a temptation to be like, God, why why is this like this? Is, would, is I, this really your plan for my life? Truly, I would ask all the time because I thought that I was following in my relationship with God, even though because I had I've always had my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. I talked to him all the time. But it was that piece of I wasn't diving into the word. I wasn't following through with what he was actually asking me to do. And so therefore everything felt empty. It was, uh, you know, they had the quote in the pirates of the Caribbean, you know, food and drink turns to ash in your mouth. Mm. That was, that's what it, everything felt like I was cursed mm. all the time. Right. Even though I was there, I was trying to have that relationship with God, right. but I just didn't, my mind wasn't, I wasn't writing the right text in my mind. Right. Or I wasn't allowing him to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's common. That is 
the same story that I hear time after time after time. Uh, and the only kind of like path out of that to be set free has always been and will always ever be coming back to what the new covenant is, what Jesus has done for me and understanding that there is no expectation on me to be his child, but, but there is a, a relationship, mm-hmm. an, an intimacy and a nearness that God says, if you, if you don't taste my goodness and my spirit, walk in my spirit, you're going to miss out. And your, your experience is going to be that. And Muddled. we don't, he, he, why do you think it says that we can grieve his spirit? It's not because he gets his feelings hurt super easily. He's not some self-absorbed Holy Spirit that's like, mm, they didn't spend time with me today. It's because he knows the dire consequences of his child's life when they neglect the living waters of Christ, when they neglect that relationship. He's grieved on our behalf. <laughs> He's like, guys, ah, you know, I have, you could have it all. And you're settling because we've been tricked. Thank <laughs> you.